0: Marches are growing.
1: So are demands to defund police.
2: I have experienced p- police brutality myself. And it's only by the grace of God that I'm here. Calls for change start getting
3: answers. This is important because we've worked together for a long time to build bridges.
2: We're not going to defend bad apples anymore for the sake of the uniform.
0: Heading into campaign season, the president picks Florida to launch his re-election campaign.
1: In Miami-Dade, seven candidates are running for mayor. In Broward, commissioners pick the mayor, but voters may have the final say. All in the next hour, this week in South Florida good morning welcome glad you could join us i'm michael
4: putney
0: i'm Glenna milberg no let up in the pressure of protest this week maybe because of signs the needle is moving across the country and here in south florida police departments and lawmakers are responding to calls for reform from implicit bias to use of excessive force
1: this week congress showed that it hears the demands for change a bill was introduced that would profoundly reform the way policing takes place in America.
0: And we start right there for perspective from South Florida's only Republican member of Congress, Mario diaz balart joining us now from Skype. Good morning. How
1: Congre- are you? Congressman, good morning. Great to have you on. Uh, Congressman diaz balart we clearly, you, us, we all are seeing something extraordinary over the last three weeks we have seen Thousands of people in South Florida, hundreds of thousands across the country, marching mostly peacefully, demanding change and into systemic racism and into brutality by police against people. As a veteran member of Congress, what do you say to those people and what can you do to answer their demands?
5: Well, first place, a couple of things. Thanks for for having me on. There's a big difference between those who are demonstrating peacefully and those who have committed acts of violence, of looting. That is totally unaccepted, uh, unacceptable and must be not only condemned, but I think the full force of the law has to come on, on those who have uh, committed acts of violence or of looting. Now, obviously, uh, there is frustration out there, and, and one has to be very sensitive to that. There is no excuse uh, to what happened uh, to Mr. Floyd. Uh, that was condemned from top to bottom as it needed to be. The system seems to be working. The the culprit uh, now has been indicted for murder, and those who didn't help have also been indicted. So the question is, is our country systematically racist? Is our country evil? And I would argue it is not. Racists exist. But as far as racism as a as a policy by uh, whether it's state, local, or, or federal government of the United States, that's not accurate. However, we must always look at ways to fight racism uh, wherever and however we can. And I'm hoping that we can take some steps to, again, make sure that people understand that we're going to do that.
0: Congressman, um, you know, I think what protesters have been saying is not pinpointing a person who is racist, but generally talking about how this country is founded on racist principles and systemic structures of racism. And, And I bring that up because as we come on the air this morning, once again, we we're hearing this news in, in Atlanta, one police officer who is now fired, another is on administrative leave. Uh, we don't know a lot of the details of what happened, how this man died at a, for, in a police shooting. Uh, Wendy's restaurant is burning, but again, the headline on all of this is, another black man in America is shot and killed by a white police officer. Uh, in context of that, can you give us your perspective on even as the nation is, is convulsing, it happened again.
5: Well, Glenn, I would, I, I would disagree with the premise, however. This country was not founded on racism. It was founded on religious freedom. Uh, look at the preamble of, of, of our Constitution. Now, I would argue and I would say that it took too long to get to actually what the founders had envisioned. Uh, but, we're, but we've made amazing strides. There's no country that has done more particularly in, in recent decades in the United States, to fight racism. Uh, and so I would just argue that that's just not accurate. And that's a revisionist uh, look at history, which is not accurate. This country is the greatest country today that uh, the world has ever seen. And so I, I, don't, I don't buy that, and I don't accept that mm-hmm. premise respectfully, obviously. Now, are there instance, uh, instances of racism? Absolutely, and that has to be fought. Uh, and we have to do everything possible. And we also have to make sure that people feel comfortable with the police. But we also have to make sure that our police officers are protected, can do their job. Because, you know, this whole, uh, as you as the show started, you, you talked about this effort to defund the uh, police departments around the country. Oh, yeah, because we're going to call 9-11 and what, the local florist is going to come and save us uh, when we're, you know, being attacked or when our family is being uh, threatened? Look, we have to make sure that we do things respectfully, reasonably. Uh, the premise that this country is racist, I do not accept the premise that there are racists, like there are corrupt people is absolutely the case, and that 's why we have to fight against those instances of racism. Yeah. One of the things we need, we need to do is make sure that nationally we know if there 's a bad cop uh, so that that bad cop can 't go from one department or one state to another, be reinstated the, and people don 't know that he 's a problematic cop yeah. but also one well,
1: last congressman, thing. if I, if I could, let me interrupt to say. Uh, I know that you're quite aware that in Congress this week, a bill was introduced called the Justice and Policing Act of 2020. And one of the provisions in that act would create a national registry so that a cop who was fired for misconduct from one department could not then go to another state or another police department. Clearly, that's something. What about that act? Can you support that bill?
5: There are some really good things in that act, but unfortunately in the, uh, it shouldn't surprise us. It's, it's the M.O. Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She always constantly overreaches. Uh, I'm hoping and I'm sure that there will be a way to negotiate, get some of the excessive or negative parts out of that act uh, to have a bipartisan bill, bicameral bill that can become law that will uh, have transparency, that will make sure that we do everything possible to make sure that those bad apples are not able to continue to participate. There also has to be, by the way, accountability to, I think, government like the one in Minneapolis. Uh, and I've heard very little about, about what accountability is there going to be to, you know, as far as the mayor, the police chief, the council in Minneapolis, where this took place. And it seems, if this is accurate, that that police officer who, who murdered somebody uh, had uh, some, some issues in the past and yet was still there. So there has to be accountability, transparency making sure that we have much higher standards. Uh, there there are things that we can agree to, but obviously, again, it shouldn't surprise us that, that Speaker Nancy Pelosi always goes a little bit farther than uh, than the country wants to go, or that would be yeah. positive. But that's something that I'm sure we'll be able to negotiate out.
0: Congressman, I want to go back to something you were talking about, the the idea of defunding the police. To your point, I think a lot of people blanched when they first heard that, like abolish the police force mm-hmm. to to mainstream America is is a you know an intense idea but but what we've learned is that defunding the police means something a bit different in that taking money away from the police department to put it toward things like mental health and education and front end social services the point being that a the police wouldn't have to answer a crisis call like they do now someone like a social worker might or or even funding the front end programs that would reduce crime and maybe not need the kind of policing we have now is is that something that you might be able to get behind
5: glenna again that subtlety that you just mentioned is what some individuals are saying but that's not what the movement was asking for so again that that subtlety is now the, the how some politicians are trying to change the narrative but you saw absolutely very aggressively people saying eliminate police departments and that's what some folks have been asking for which is highly irresponsible now I think, by the way, that there may be a case that we need to further fund police departments to increase their level of training to make sure that they have the best standards. So the concept of taking money out of police departments uh, not only could put communities in jeopardy, it could put police officers in jeopardy. Uh, And so I I don't think that's reasonable. And and so the subtlety of trying to now, not you, some of the folks out there are saying well no no Uh, eliminating police departments doesn't mean eliminating police departments it means uh taking out their money and sending it elsewhere look the bottom line is that there's an effort out in the country to eliminate police departments to uh, totally uh, get rid of them to defund police departments including from members in the united states house of representatives that is irresponsible we may need to shift Funding, uh, local municipalities may, may need to shift funding. Here in Miami-Dade County, we have an amazing police director. Uh, that's the person that I want to go to, to find out what the needs are of the police department, make sure they have the best people, the best training, that they're sensitive, by the way, and trained to deal with people with mental health issues, uh, which is very delicate and potentially dangerous for the patient and the police officer. So there's a lot that can be done, but this call to eliminate or defund police uh, police uh, departments around the country let's not minimize what it is this you know i think you're talking about the subtleties of what some people are talking about that's not what the proposals have been that's not what some who are in congress are advocating for and that would be highly destructive totally unacceptable and again i guess we're supposed to call our local florist uh, our dry cleaner when somebody's breaking into our house. Congressman. Look, I support and, law enforcement. I can, support our police officers. They're heroes, <laughs> even though some have made mistakes.
0: Can we uh, we're it's it's so great to really delve into the meaning of these things. Can we hold on for a, a little bit? We're gonna take a quick break. We'll come right back and pick this conversation up. Stay tuned.
1: On the Sunday on this week in South Florida, we're speaking with Congressman. Mario Diaz-Balart represents the 25th Congressional District, Southwest Miami-Dade, all over the Everglades, almost over to Naples. Congressman, we're so glad you're with us. Uh, The president has not gone on nationwide television from the Oval Office since the murder on Memorial Day of George Floyd, has not really spoken to the American people, called for unity, uh, called for calm. Uh, Is that a mistake on his part?
4: I,
5: I think it's important to hear from uh, the president uh, in uh, difficult moments. The country is going through difficult moments. I hope he does uh, do that. And, I, you know, one of the things that I'd like to emphasize is while this is going on, we should never forget the pain that the Floyd family is enduring right now, just like uh, the Underwood family or the Dorn family. Uh, these are folks who have lost loved ones, and we should never forget that. And, again, yes, I'd like to hear from him. Uh, but And, again, we should never forget that this is not just— theory these are people who have lost their lives.
1: Yeah uh, if I may uh, tell us explain uh, who are the Underwood families and the Dorn families how do they figure into this?
5: Yeah uh, Patrick Underwood uh, was a federal contractor who was murdered uh, by a mob uh, of uh, criminals uh, during this episode at the beginning of the you know not that, that remember there's a difference between as I mentioned demonstrators and, and, and criminal activity. Um, <clears throat> you know, an individual 50 plus years old African-American gentleman uh, who was murdered, um, and Mr. Doran was a retired police officer, also an oh, African-American yes. individual who was murdered by, <clears throat> by folks trying to loot, I believe, a, I don't know a shop. And, and so th- those are the folks that we have to always remember. Uh, these are real people. While this thing can always get political, I'm hoping that we stay united. This is an amazing country, and it's amazing what we can do if we stay united and, and remember uh, what we're dealing with. These are folks who have lost their lives, uh, some by, again, one by a police officer uh, who, again, is under indictment for murder. The others, as far as I know, uh, their murderers have not been uh, indicted yet. I hope they will.
1: Yeah. I, I'm sure if somebody from Black Lives Matter were sitting on this desk or were part of the conversation, they might say something like, Yes, and let's remember Emma Till, 14 year old black youth, you Correct. know, who was uh, strung up and lynched in 1955. Uh, it's part of a long history of violence against black people in this country.
5: Yeah, and, and that's absolutely the case, Michael. But I think uh, not uh, recognizing the strides that have been made from then to now, uh, not only, by the way, individually, uh, how racism is now despised and how it has been institutionalized. Anti-racism has been institutionalized in practice and in law, both on the federal state, uh, on the three of them, federal, state and local uh, 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 level, and I think that's crucial and important. Uh, the world was different 100 years ago. Uh, this country is different. Uh, you know, we had the Civil Rights Movement. We had the Voting Rights Act. Uh, we've had a lot of strides. We've had, we had an American uh, president elected and reelected who's an African American. I've yet to see that kind of uh, uh, positive things taking place, in, including uh, wonderful democracies in Europe. And So again, while we have a long way to go, we do, and it took too long This country has done an amazing job and will continue, as long as we do it together, uh, making it better for everyone, whether you're African-American, Hispanic-American, woman, Jew, whatever it is. We have to make sure that discrimination is just not available for those who want to do it. Uh, So the institutional part of it is done, but we have to continue to work on it day in, day out.
0: Congressman, so the president is about to, we hear, come up with an executive order on police misconduct reform. What do you know about that? What might that look like?
5: Well, it's really interesting. This is the the administration that worked with Congress uh, uh, to get reform of the judicial system, something that had been talked about for decades. Uh, So I'm hopeful that uh, he will have a proposal again that we can coalesce around. That doesn't mean that we're going to agree to all of it. Um, but so, so Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker has a proposal. The President uh, will have a proposal. I know that the, the Senate will have a separate proposal. That's the way the system is supposed to work. And then we negotiate, uh, get rid of the parts that are more questionable and hopefully have a consensus or close to a consensus document, legislation to protect people while we protect law enforcement, while we help those heroes uh, do the job that we ask them to do every single day. And again, always fighting discrimination to make sure that this country, the greatest country ever uh, gets even better.
1: Yeah. Congressman, in just 10 seconds, August, uh, late August, Jacksonville, you will be a delegate to the Republican Convention. Are you going to go? Are you going to wear a face mask? Uh,
5: Michael, as you know, uh, my wife, who you know, Tia, is super healthy, but she is a very high risk. So I'm very, very careful to make sure I don't bring anything home. So we'll see. We'll see. But I'm excited that it's coming here to Florida.
0: And, and you may be immune now that you've had COVID-19. That's that's something everyone's looking at, too. So who knows? It's a good right thing you're now. healthy. Great to have you with us again. Thank you, Thanks, Congressman.
5: Congressman. Pleasure being with both come, of you. Thank
1: come you back so anytime. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to the leader of the Miami-Dade Police Department, Alfredo Freddy Ramirez.
0: This week, he reversed the use of a controversial neck restraint for his officers. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Right now, we want to take you out to a protest in support of the Black Lives Matter movement happening right now in Miami Beach.
1: This is just one of several planned protests for today. Local 10 reporter Sonola Sebovic is live on Miami Beach with more Sonola
6: Good morning to you, Michael and Glenna. Two very different protests, one on the water and one actually held here on the streets here of Ocean Drive and Fifth Street. They just wrapped up a few short moments ago, but I do wanna get you the video from this latest protest here that was held along Ocean Drive. And it began at South Point Park, wrapped up again here on Fifth Street, Miami Beach Police actually escorting the crowd, and about 100 people or so were gathered. And what was very unique about this one is that it was put together by a 13-year-old girl, her name, Egyptia Green. She led the marchers with her sign in hand, saying, "Black Lives." Lives matter and enough is enough the diverse group is calling out for racial equality and justice and once they reached the end point of the protest they got down on one knee for eight minutes and 46 seconds holding a moment of silence of course we know that's how long ex Minneapolis officer Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck before he died while in police custody the young organizer talks to us about what this protest meant to her take a listen
4: we all have to stick together, the color,
6: the color of our skin doesn't matter, um, they should treat us all the same, and we're just all a family.
7: And I sit with the police officers every day and have coffee in the morning, so we wanted to be peaceful, we wanted to show that there are good cops and bad cops, but the bad cops need to be taken care of, and the good cops need to make sure that the bad cops, that they tell the bad cops not, not to do the things that they do.
6: Such very important messages from the young activist and her mother. Meantime, another peaceful protest this one again again a bit different it was held out in the water members of the paddle boarding and surfing community of miami beach joined together to stand up against racism this morning it was called a paddle out for peace it was also in support of the black lives matter movement while also condemning the police killing of george floyd they then went out on the water on their boards to create a formation commemorating lives lost at the hands of police officers. Back out live now, two very symbolic protests, very peaceful ones from start to finish. And young Egyptia Green, she says she's not done just yet. Her mother also mentions that her daughter is so passionate, she wants to continue on this movement for change. That's the latest here from Miami <laughs> Beach. Glenn and Michael, I'll send it back to you.
0: So many protests, all with a very common theme. Senella, thanks so much.
1: A remarkable young lady, Egyptia is, maybe we can get her on our show next week. Well, George Floyd's death put a spotlight on how police restrain and subdue suspects, especially by using a chokehold around the neck. And one of those chokeholds is called the Applied Carotid Triangle Restraint, or ACTR.
0: Monday, Miami Dade's police director included an explanation of that technique in a public memo. By Thursday, he had suspended its use. Director Freddie Ramirez now with us live from police headquarters in Doral via Skype. Good morning, Director. Great to have you with us today. Good
3: morning, Glenda. Good morning, Michael. Hey,
1: Director. Great to see you.
0: Can we start with the applied carotid triangle restraint? I know I know there are police departments, including yours, who took issue with calling it a chokehold—that it wasn't really a chokehold. In the vernacular, that's what it looks like. So let's start with explaining uh, this now banned uh, technique. How is it different from a chokehold?
3: Well, the Miami-Dade Police Department has never trained for chokeholds. We trained for the ACTR, which is a where you encircle the neck and you apply pressure on the carotid arteries, not obstructing the airway to subdue uh, you know, a violent person or someone who's resisting with violence. Um, just to put it in perspective, last year in 2019, we had 624,000 calls for service, approximately 285 of them resulted in a use of force and we applied that technique 20 times. So upon reviewing that with my team, listening to the community, seeing the, the, you know how valuable that technique was at a lower level in the use of force spectrum, I decided that it was time to move it up, you know, to take it off our policy. But I want to make it clear, though, if my officers, if the men and women of the Miami-Dade Police Department are fighting for their lives in a moment of heated struggle, they're going to do what they have to do to go home to their families. And I expect nothing less than that from them. Yeah. you know we will not use it as a de-escalation de- technique but if my officers are fighting for their lives i expect them to do what they have to do to go home uh,
1: director ramirez as you well know a lot of the demonstrators that we've seen on the streets in south florida across the country are saying defund the police just a minute ago you heard congressman mario diaz balart essentially say that's a ridiculous demand it simply is not going to happen But there are people within your profession who say, yes, maybe we are doing things. uh, We're acting as social workers or psychologists. Maybe others can't do that work instead of a police officer. But what is your response, Freddie?
3: I think that's completely, my personal opinion, completely irresponsible. There are communities in Dade County that depend on the police to keep them safe, okay? They were on the front lines every day providing services. Yes, we do CIT, we deal with the mental ill, we deal with people who are homeless, we deal with people who are suffering from domestic violence, human trafficking, murders, keeping the streets safe from anarchy. What you need is more police out there. We need more training, of course, more transparency, working together, but the police in the community, especially here in Miami-Dade, have a great relationship, especially thanks to the community relations board, Shirley Plankton, who helps with my police officer to bridge communication, so that we know we're policing correctly and strategically. Direct- we're one of the most- yes, ma'am.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't mean. I thought you were done. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Please continue.
3: We're one of the most progressive police departments in the country. So much so that uh, during the Obama administration, they came and provided us an award for the type of community policing we've done. We've put the work in this community to build the trust, and it's just I think it's tragic that the actions of a few around the country affects this community, our law enforcement community, and paints us all with one brush, because that is not the case. Yes, do we make mistakes? Absolutely. And we hold ourselves accountable, and we always work hard to be better, and we will continue to do so in the spirit of protecting this community and protecting this police department.
0: It, that is almost verbatim what I was gonna ask you about. You have been so front and center this week. you have We just talked about one of the changes that you've made in response. Uh, there are so many calls for different ELEMENTS OF POLICE REFORM THAT THE MIAMI-DADE POLICE DEPARTMENT HAS ALREADY INSTITUTED EVEN PRIOR TO TWO, THREE, FOUR MONTHS AGO. SO MY QUESTION TO YOU IS WHEN when YOU SEE THESE PROTESTS OF POLICE DEPARTMENTS AND POLICING AT LARGE BEING PAINTED WITH SUCH A BROAD BRUSH BY PEOPLE WHO ARE, are TRULY AFRAID AND PASSIONATE ABOUT THAT, HOW DO YOU ADDRESS THAT?
3: I, I RESPECT EVERYBODY'S OPINION, WITHOUT A DOUBT. BUT I ALSO KNOW my police department and my profession, I know that the 99.9% of the men and women who serve this community serve with honor. They care about this community. In fact, most of them are young and are the children of this community. And what I really, the audience I really want to reach is our children in the community. Because even my own youngest son will ask me every day when I get home, Daddy, why do they hate the police? Daddy, why is this happening? You know, it hits home to all our children. And that I will not stand for that. I want to bring peace and unity to this community. I want our officers to know that the work that they do out there is not done in vain. And I want the community to know that our officers love them and are here to provide the service and will take a bullet for them, just like we would take a bullet for ourselves.
1: Yeah. Well, I have to say I admired it this week when you and many other police officers went to the 10,000 uh role models of excellence luncheon you spoke to those outstanding young men there that shows i think where your heart is well let me ask you this question if i can director on tuesday uh, before the miami-dade county commission as you well know commissioner barbara jordan and other commissioners are going to introduce a ordinance that would create or recreate a oversight panel for miami-dade county police Uh, do you support that
3: that's a great topic First of all, I looked at our internal affairs complaints last year, we had 104 IA complaints, of which 72 came back with sustained findings in which we've exercised different levels of uh, discipline or corrective action. However, we hold ourselves accountable and there's plenty of governmental institutions that do it, but if it's the will of the community, the will of the board to impose a civilian review panel, what I ask is that it's fair and representative OF NOT ONLY THE COMMUNITY BUT MEMBERS OF LAW ENFORCEMENT BECAUSE I DO NOT WANT MY OFFICERS TO BE PUT IN A GOTCHA MOMENT OR TO BE EXPLOITED. I WANT, WHEN THEY MAKE A MISTAKE, THAT IT'S ABLE TO BE CORRECTED AND THAT THEY'RE NOT PERSECUTED. AND IF THEY CREATE A MISTAKE THAT IS EGREGIOUS, THEN WE'LL DEAL WITH IT BECAUSE I I WILL NOT HIDE BEHIND uh, BILL OF RIGHTS OR THINGS LIKE THAT, WHICH I THINK ARE VERY IMPORTANT FOR LAW ENFORCEMENT. THE DECISION ENDS WITH ME AT THE TOP OF THE AGENCY. And I'll enact discipline based on the policy and based on the factors in front of me. And if I have to fire someone and it meets that criteria, I will. And we have.
0: Director Ramirez, this is just the beginning of a conversation that we hope will be ongoing with you. Really appreciate your time on this Sunday.
1: Thank you, Director.
3: Thank you. Have a good
1: day.
0: Up next, we're actually going to talk to the man who helps run the city of Miami's civilian investigative panel, the CIP.
1: They look into allegations of police misconduct. City's program could be a model for the county. In the city of Miami, citizens who feel they have been mistreated by police can file a complaint with the department. Then internal affairs investigates and usually sides with the police officer
0: but there is another option the civilian investigative panel we've been speaking about an independent group that looks into citizens complaints of abusive treatment by police and also issues recommendations after rodney jacobs is the assistant director of miami cip he is advocating right now that miami-dade county reinstate its civilian oversight board mr jacobs joins us now as you see via skype great to have you
2: aboard
1: good to see you Hey, thanks for having me guys all right so so what would a county board do that uh would advance the interest of justice and help people who feel they've been abused by police officers
2: well, the county board would do similar things that our city department does right now and that we would investigate um, situations that involve police officer misconduct. People will be able to come into our office, file complaints, um, and really look at situations that otherwise may go unnoticed. Um, and, and I think that's an important message right now, considering that there's not a lot of options for people to, to place complaints into a system and have those instances looked at. Um, then in and of itself, uh, I heard the director just mentioned that there is... Internal affairs uh, system that allows people to have their grievances vetted, but there's there's multitude of reasons why people don't want to go to internal affairs. Uh, so I think this provides another viable option, and it allows for additional layer of transparency.
0: Ronnie, I, I want to throw by you the um, the both the double-edged sword of people who say your civilian investigative panel does excellent work. Thorough work is, is so critical to the investigative process for people who feel like they need a voice. And on the other hand, talks about how your recommendations from this board are not, first of all, there's no mandate for anyone from the chief to the mayor or commission to follow your recommendations. And in fact, very few times have they. Please address that if you would.
2: Well, well, there is there are times where the police department does listen to our recommendations. Uh, but I think another larger aspect of the work that we do is procedural justice—the um, idea that people can participate into a system that they believe is fair and allows them to to have people vet their situation. Um, We believe that that civilian oversight is a great tool in order to bolster that that notion of procedural justice. And although sometimes police departments may not listen to our investigations, oftentimes they do reopen cases, uh, oftentimes they do discipline officers. But we just try to do our best uh, with the tools that we have within our powers to ensure that, that community members feel as though they have a mechanism, an opportunity to have their voice heard against police misconduct. Now, the reasoning why police chiefs may not listen to our recommendations rests in a lot of state law. So I just urge people to look at those issues and take it to their local elected leaders.
0: As a follow-up to that, part of the state law, what we've been calling Police Bill of Rights, a police officer who is accused is is not um, doesn't have to show up for an interview or an investigation can decide not to participate is that right Uh,
2: yes a police officer can decide not to give statements to our office Um, typically if an officer gives a statement is to internal affairs we feel as though those statements don't necessarily uh, thwart our investigative powers Uh, we have witnesses within the community we're able to subpoena evidence uh, from from other uh, jurisdictions if necessary as well as documents uh, so we feel as though our investigation still goes forward uh, thoroughly, even without those statements in some cases.
1: Yeah, uh, Rodney. I remember back to the free trade area of the Americas demonstrations, in which, in my opinion, Miami police under John Timoney were, I think, harsh in the way they treated some protesters. Uh, when Chief Timoney was subpoenaed to appear before the CIP, this was before you were the director. Uh, He simply refused to answer the subpoena. Uh, What do you do in a case like that?
2: Well, in in a case like that, obviously, we could take it to litigation if necessary. Uh, The CIP, and we hope that the county uh, CIP that we get uh, also has independent counsel. Um, But, you know, now there's court rulings that kind of, that ability to a certain extent uh we would hope that the police department just be it just becomes collaborative i mean we heard the director just speak um, it seems though another layer of transparency wouldn't hurt especially if there's not nothing to hide and i feel like we're all on the same team here trying to weed out the bad apples so if people are vested in that interest why not why not work together why not work in tandem in in order to ensure that our police department is the best there shouldn't be any debate about that.
0: What does the CIP in Miami need that you don't have right now, in your estimation?
2: Well, we, we could use some more investigators. Uh, we could we could use some more resources um, that allow us to do our job more efficiently and effectively. Uh, so we we, we we do need those things. We understand that there is some budget constraints due to the COVID uh, situation. Uh, but you know, I'm an executive, so I'm never going to tell you I don't need more resources. So there's some of that.
1: Too. Rodney Jacobs, Assistant Director. City of Miami CIP, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Michael Glenna. Um, If you ever need me, it'd be great to come back anytime.
1: Thank you.
0: (laughs) Up next, the debate over a strong mayor in Broward County. We're going to hear from both sides of that. Stay
1: tuned. We're glad you are with us on this Sunday. There is a push underway in Broward County to make a mayor an elected position that is elected by all the people of the county.
0: The job of mayor and vice mayor in Broward right now rotates among commissioners. This week the commission will decide whether to put the issue to voters in November and as all things <laughs> in South Florida there is a debate. Bernadette Norris Weeks, an attorney in Fort Lauderdale and founder of the Women of Color Empowerment Institute, is against the idea. And Larry Davis, an attorney in Hollywood and a member of Broward Citizens for an elected mayor, obviously, is for it.
1: Good afternoon. Good to have you both here. If I can, uh, let me ask you to make your best arguments for your point of view for and against an elected mayor. And Bernadette, uh, you oppose it. What, what is wrong with electing a mayor?
7: Well, this is essentially a measure about power. And the folks who have historically enjoyed power in Broward County are looking for a way, as they see their power base eroding, um, due to diversity and a more diverse Broward, they're looking for a way to try to keep that power. Um, We have a demographically um, majority minority county, um, which means that less than 50% of the population is is non-Hispanic white. And, uh, and the folks I, I've sat with Larry Davis on the Charter Review Commission, we had a three-term um, uh, or actually a three-year uh, term that we just completed in 2018 where we heard testimony from people all over the county and outside come in and tell us why this Um, was or was not uh, a good idea and ultimately the board that was appointed by all of the commissioners um, decided against this issue and decided that this was not um, a measure that we wanted to put forth on a ballot to Broward County voters now a small group of people
1: Bernadette um, Bernadette, uh, I I beg your pardon hate to jump in here but you've sort of made your main point. So, Larry Davis, let me ask you to uh, jump in here. Explain why you think an elected mayor is the best way to go.
4: Thank you, Mr. Butney. Um, I think it comes down to one word: leadership. Broward Broward County needs leadership. And, and the leadership uh, comes from accountability. Yeah, And the accountability comes from the people themselves. And we have over 2 million people in Broward County. Uh, the 2 million people should be able to vote to elect a mayor, the mayor should not be selected uh, by five members of the county commission. And also, um, Ms. Putney, the leadership comes from a a consistent uh, vision. And what we have now is the mayor changes every year, they rotate, and what happens is that the vision of the person that's in charge changes every year from say solid waste to say transportation. And without the focus and the and the vision that's necessary, you don't have the leadership that's necessary in Broward County. Uh, Bernadette and I have really been having this argument for now over three years, uh, both on the uh, charter and and now here today in front of your viewers. And and the idea that Broward County doesn't need leadership to me doesn't make any sense. If you've ever driven um, in Broward County uh, before the pandemic or tried to ride mass transit in Broward County, you see, you can't get anywhere. And that's where leadership will come in. And then as far as the pandemic's concerned, I think this is this shows where leadership is needed more than anywhere else. In, in our county- right. We, Mr. right, Mr.
1: Davis, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm sorry, I'm gonna do the same thing I did to Bernadette. I think you've made your main point. Uh, Bernadette, and it's time for Glenna to jump in here, but let me just ask you, in Broward County, two million people a lot of people kind of wondering, looking at the pandemic, the marches after the death of George Floyd, they're asking, where does the buck stop politically? And well, it really, about- it stops with Bertha Henry, who mm-hmm. is the Broward County Administrator. She's not answerable to anybody except the commission.
7: And let's talk about that, uh, Michael. First of all, Broward County has had leadership. It has a consistent plan that it uses no matter who comes in. That plan includes transportation issues. It includes affordable housing issues. It includes all kinds of issues that they've been focusing on and every mayor will focus on no matter who that is. The government works very well as it stands currently. In fact, Broward County has been through its, um, its uh, very qualified professional leader has been awarded the international um, uh, award for the best county managed um, county in the in the in the internationally not even just the nation so uh, and that was just two years ago so let me tell you about leadership Um, we've seen leadership through our, our County Administrator Bertha Henry. Just a little while ago when we were dealing with the COVID-19 issues and opening up, she was criticized for, oh, you know, maybe you're doing it not fast enough. But guess what? She worked with experts. She listened to the the, the, the people who needed to be listened to, and she made her choice without the interference of, of politicians. If you have somebody who's a, po- and, and let me just say this, in Broward, if you look at the surrounding counties, outside of broward we are the we've had less, less death we've had less um coronavirus incidents and that's because we have somebody at the helm who is administering this county on a day-to-day basis without the interference of of politics she's not someone they can go to larry or his group can go to and say i'm not going to elect you the next time um, uh, you're up for office or give you money. that That is out of out of play, and that's why this county government works very well. There are less than five government forms of an elected mayor in the entire state of Florida and very few in the entire nation. Although and one so of
0: them, to- Bernadette, is right next door in Miami-Dade County, Larry Davis, the uh, the if it ain't broke, don't fix it argument. 20 years ago, Broward voters said no. 20 years on, why do you think that might have changed?
4: Well, because I don't think the don't fix it, uh, you know, it's not broken, really, really stands at, at where we are now. And I want to go back to what Bernadette was talking about, about the pandemic. In one day, in one day in the newspaper, we had four of the county commissioners arguing different different openings, when and where to open. And that was very confusing to the voters. Bertha Henry, I think Bertha Henry's great. We all love Bertha Henry. She does a great job. She's in drop, she's gonna be out in 2022 anyway. So Bertha Henry's really not an issue in this. And then you had the argument with Bertha Henry and the mayor of Fort Lauderdale, Dean Tran, tell us about, well, should we open up the beaches? Whatever he wanted the gyms opened up, she didn't. What you need is a leader that has the uh, credibility and the only way to get the credibility is to have the voters vote on it. Bernadette, will you, will you address
7: that? that because all, the, I, mean, uh, I, think, I think that is ridiculous. That's to say that that it's almost saying Bertha Henry doesn't have credibility. And this is someone who is a professional manager. She has a staff of professional managers lined up behind her to, if she were out tomorrow, to take her place, people she's trained. There is a system in place for this professional management structure to continue. and Larry mentioned Miami-Dade County. Let me tell you about Miami-Dade County. If we had if Larry had his way, what we'd be marching into is it's something like miami-dade county which hasn't worked for uh for black people in particular in that county if you look at for instance there was an issue that was on the um that was voted upon by the majority of the county commission that barbara jordan brought before um the the board that issue had to do with having a system in place or a group in place that would monitor police officers and and their um uh and their um, uh, and what they and what they did their their actions and this was actually vetoed by. Uh, Miami-Dade County Mayor um, Jimenez. It was vetoed, and so you would be leading going down a path of what um, we see in Miami-Dade County, where we hardly see any blacks that are in places um, as they were before, running huge departments. Um, you don't see that at all. You see uh, very few that have, um, you know, no major responsibility of huge departments like we have seen in the past. We have a, a, a system where basically the voices of black folks in particular has been disenfranchised, and it's even a forum, I believe, of voter suppression, if you use the analogy that I get, just gave you with what happened with um, with um, uh, Commissioner Jordan. And I'll tell you, what we will be going into is the, this strong mayor will be, will be um, paying attention to the people who got him elected, and so much money would be poured into this one um, uh, I, uh, race on. that... It,
4: to That so much money because
7: money would
1: be poured into this one race. Hold
4: on, let Larry, let Larry get a word in here.
0: Larry Davis, 30 Larry. seconds.
4: Thank Go you, for it. But, Uh, here, here's the, the problem with the argument that Bernadette is making you know, in Broward County, we have a, uh African American who got elected as um, clerk of the court. Uh, Bernadette's boss, uh, Brenda Snipes, who's African American, was elected twice. The second time was 76 percent of the vote, and she's African American. Um, uh, Barack Obama, in in, in both in uh, 08 and 12, carried Brown- Broward County with 67 percent of the vote. Okay, uh, point
0: point made, up- and <laughs> and I, Larry Davis, I hate to cut you off. Point made, and we are gonna have to hold it there because in television we have a deadline that we need to make, and we thank you both for thank wetting you. everyone's appetite as to what's to come in Broward this week.
4: Well, thank you for having me.
7: Thank you me. for having
4: us, thank you. Thanks, and
1: we'll be right back.
0: That is our program today. A lot of ground covered here. Thank you so much for being with us. We are with you, remember, online 24-7 at and, local10.com.
1: Excuse me, and before we leave you, I just want to get it on the record. I have the highest regard for Birthday Henry, terrific administrator and power. Remember, as always, stay informed, Get involved, hope you have a wonderful Sunday.